my career is over. Like my life as I know it and my, the track of where my life is going is over. Welcome back, my Beyond community, and this is another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence with Chelsea, and you guessed it, I am still Chelsea. Well, this week is a story, if I haven't heard one before, of life just going absolutely the opposite of everything you planned and how to overcome that. Uh, We have my friend Danielle, and it's interesting, she was my older sister's friend growing up, and I always just was like, oh, this is my sister's friend, and then... She had a fabulous 30th birthday celebration, and she invited me, and I thought, oh my gosh, she's my friend. So she kind of grew up around me my whole life, and I've seen her around, and um, we definitely consider her an honorary Thomas sister. That's my maiden name. Um, Yeah, she's definitely adopted in. We kind of do that. We just find women we love and adopt them into our sisterhood. So Danielle is one of those, and I cannot wait to get into her story. I don't mean to keep going all the way back to junior high and high school, but I have known these people for a long time, and that is where this story starts. So let's go back to junior high with Danielle. I was a funky-looking junior high kid. Like, I'm pretty sure if you grew up in the 90s, like, everybody had such an awkward face from, like, 6th to 8th grade. Like, those were just unkind years. Just not nice. Scraggly hair, glasses. Oh, so bad. I had the chubbiest, like, cheeks. I stuffed my bra in 6th and 7th grade because everybody else was developing, and I was not. Like, I wanted to be so much more grown up. Danielle had lived here her whole life, and everyone knew her really, really well. Everyone really knew each other. And so when two new girls moved in, her and her friends kind of adopted them into the group. The whole energy of our group of friends totally changed because it wasn't just, oh, yeah, I've known him since I was four. It was always like, oh, yeah, so we have these new friends. And the energy of the group shifted, and it was not necessarily the best one for me because I always felt like that awkward, ugly duckling. Um, super, super insecure, but put on this facade of being super confident. Again, it fed into my already very ingrained, like insecurities, which is so crazy because if you talk to people who knew me back then, especially junior high, high school area, like live life, they wouldn't, they, I don't think that they would, um, describe me as someone who was like insecure and mousy and like, but I was just overcompensating. I feel like being in my thirties is so much more fun than any other time in my life. Other than like, you know, the, you know, the experiences you experience, you're like, Oh man, I wish I could go back and experience that again. But honestly, I think being in my thirties is so much more fun because I'm finally like growing into the person that I like pretended to be in high school and in junior high. And the thing is like, I don't know that I necessarily realized like at the forefront of my mind that all of these insecurities were there until as an adult, I've taken the time to self-reflect on, you know, my upbringing and the experiences I had and the people that I had in my life at the time and realizing where my mindset was and kind of where, how it's like, we got into my other, got into other parts of my life and in, even into my marriage and like, kind of now I'm getting to a point where I'm like, sort of getting at peace in who I am but not really knowing who, who I was. 
So if you heard it right there, Danielle mentions her upbringing, and I wanted to get a little bit more into that and what that meant to her. Well, I am the oldest of four daughters, but I was, I, you know, my sister, my first sister, that's just younger than me. Um, we were so far apart in age that I didn't have anything in common with her whatsoever. We shared a room together. I resented that. And I just always felt like I had to like take over and take care of everything. My mom worked full time. My dad was a police officer. And so he like my entire life until he like, I'm pretty sure until he retired, like worked graveyard shifts. And so we always had to be super quiet during the day when he was sleeping, he was, you know, not really ever available for evening stuff. And, um, my mom worked full time during the day. So by the time I was coming home from school every day, it was just me and my sisters, you know, I kind of like took over a little bit of those duties. Um, my youngest sister was born when I was nine. So by the time I was like 13, 14, you know, she was old enough for me to be able to just kind of watch all of them all the time, which I think is sometimes just the duty of the oldest kid. Like that's just your job. That's just innate, you know? Um, but with my mom not being really around, um, I look back and I do wish that I would have tried a little harder to, I don't know, like just have a, a, a closer relationship with her because I remember you know, going to friends' houses and seeing the way that they talked to their mom, like after school or, you know, the conversations that they would have that were super deep and really personal. And I just don't ever remember feeling like I could make that connection with my mom because I never really had that time because I mean, she had to work. And I think up until like, just, I'm going to be honest. And she knows this because we've had conversations about it, but up until the last couple of years, I kind of resented the fact that I kind of played what I'd like to call that second mom role. And truth be told, so have my sisters. In fact, they've even said to me, like, I don't need a second mom right now. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play any other role in your life. <laughs> because, you know, and also I'm so far ahead of most of my siblings in life. I mean, I'm 31 years old. I have four kids and I've been married for coming up on 12 years. So my other, my sister just younger than me, she is single and she's like working and doing her own thing. The next sister, she's been married for, for like two and a half years. She just had her first baby, which is awesome. And my youngest sister, she is in another state working and kind of living with her boyfriend. And so I'm just in such a different stage of life that it's so hard to connect. But then, you know, as a mom, I do feel like I, I kind of give my mom an unfair, an unfair rap. Because I chose to stay home with my kids and my husband and I work really hard to make sure that even though, even if I need to do like side jobs and stuff that I work really hard to be home with my kids. Cause it's and for, honestly, I didn't even want to do that. Like I didn't, when we were engaged, I told him, he's like, okay, yeah, I, I'd like to have this many kids or whatever. And you know, I want you to stay home with them. And I said, I'm sorry, what? Because growing up with a mom that worked, I just assumed that's what I would do. I assumed that I would have a full-time job. Like it wasn't ever an option in my mind to stay home with my kids. But also I think a lot of it plays into, you know, the culture of, you know, our religion and our church. Mm -hmm. My mom, my mom didn't grow up in our faith. And so she was a convert before she married my dad. And so she grew up with a working mom and my grandmother grew like grew up with a working mom. So that was just kind of, I just assumed that's what I would do. But then I had my first kid and I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I was like, I'm good being home with her because this is kind of awesome. Um, but like growing up again, like I said, I kind of took on that second mom role while also still trying to be a kid. And that's really hard to do. 
Yes. Because I felt like I had to mature really fast. I loved this moment in the interview when Danielle was really open about her mom. I think many times as we're children, we look up to our parents like they know what they're doing. And then this realization when you become a parent, I just I am realizing now like, oh, my gosh, my mom was just a kid trying to figure it out. And so I feel like as we grow up, we earn a lot more grace for our parents. With Danielle's mom working a lot, they had a hard time finding time to spend together. And one way and one thing that brought them together was these pageants. I don't really know how she got into it, to be honest, because she put me in baby pageants when I was a, a baby baby. Like I have pictures of me as a big chubby baby next to trophies in this floofy dress. Apparently I did well because we just kept doing them. <laughs> just keep winning those titles. <laughs> because honestly, and then as I grow, grew older, um, you know, I, I developed um, a passion and a talent for singing. And it was something that I, and even now it still is such a huge part of who I am. And part of that is also like, I really, I am a really big personality. And so I needed a place for that to go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like I'm we'd be really at the saying. fair watching the pageant and it'd be like okay this is nice and then Danielle would come on and be like oh here comes Danielle <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny this is gonna be good <laughs> well I love that you said that because it was cute it was so important to me to like put my all into my performance because when I step on that stage and I was particularly interested in Broadway performances I always chose a song that was from a Broadway musical that either I was familiar with or my mom had shown me and I kind of fell in love with the song and became the person became that character but I'll never forget that I would sing I'm just a girl who can't say no and I honestly just like embodied that character because it was just so fun and what's really cool is that it's almost like a legacy with my mom as well and um a lot of our younger listeners are not gonna know what this is and I'm not even sure if you know what it is but in the 80s before my mom started dating my dad and before she was like settled here in Arizona uh, my mom traveled the world with a program called up with people they she freaking performed in Super Bowl 20 with up with people and it's so cool because she, I grew up with her telling me all of these stories and so my mom is a natural performer as well and she has a beautiful singing voice and it was something she taught me people used to ask me like oh who's your who's your you know voice teacher and I was like uh my mom <laughs> I, I I didn't think there was anything strange about that because when I would go to competitions and stuff um for you know like the, my pageants, my locals or state or even national competitions, people would ask me like who I trained with. And I'm like a 13 year old kid. I'm like, who else would I train with? Like my mom. But that apparently in that world, because we lived a pretty modest life. I mean, I was the oldest of four kids. And so anytime I would go to competitions, we did a lot of fundraising to be able to like pay for, you know, my wardrobe. My mom made a lot of my wardrobe and she was really, really talented with that. And then, but she sacrificed a lot. And I, I realize that now because my girls now want to participate in the same program I grew up doing because the, the pageant I grew up doing is a scholarship program that's literally focused on, you know, basically developing character traits in kids at a young age so that, you know, you know, young girls can learn how to be poised and learn how to speak and learn how to interview and learn how to show up as them, their best selves and learning how to hone their talent. So that was always something that I was so grateful for, but nobody understood that. 
Living in such a small town, there wasn't a lot of participants in Holbrook, and no one really understood the pageant world. A lot of the people that I competed with or, you know, did these pageants with, like, we just didn't talk about it at school because people would make fun of us. It was like, it was like Mm -hmm. a joke. I, you know, growing up, like I felt shame in that when I was at school, but then when I was working towards something, and I think this has played into like me as a person, when I set my sight on a goal to compete, especially at the state level, the state, like the the program I was with is called Cinderella, the Cinderella scholarship program. And when you're, when you're working toward honing your talent, getting the, the right outfit and really learning how to show up on stage, it's so it's, it's like rigorous, but in like a, an exhilarating way, because when you get out on that stage and, and my mom always used to say, I, I, I mean, I remember this. I couldn't wait to get that feeling of stepping out onto that stage. Like the, like the lights on me, having the entire stage to myself and just being able to show off what I could do. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like I, I lived for that. I lived for that. And this really surprised me to hear this because in my mind I was one of those who had a misconception I was thinking maybe her mom forced her into pageants and it gave her like a complex but actually it turns out the pageant is such a beautiful way for women to really step into their own and I'm so grateful that Danielle helped me to see that and I'm so grateful she had that in her, those young years when she had those insecurities and doubts that she had a place where she could feel safe and at home and powerful. It really is a character development program to help you kind of step into who you are, which is exactly what it did for me. And it helped me find, like I could be Danielle on, you know, volume turned up to a hundred. And I never, cause everybody else around me was also at their level 100. So I felt like that was who I really am. But being that Danielle level 100 in a small town of 5,000 people, it just didn't fit. I didn't yeah. fit. And now as, as an adult, I appreciate that I didn't fit. But back then, junior Hi. high in high school, are you freaking kidding me? Not only did these skills add value to Danielle's life, but I loved listening to her almost newfound gratitude for the time she had with her mom. And my mom was so good about making it important to not just go out there and just sing and let's see what happens because and as much as I hated it I hated standing in my backyard and practicing over and over again <laughs> and getting just the right just the right hand motion for the word and breathing in the right place for effect and like but I'm so grateful for that because she helped me hone hone my craft and I look back now you know as a teenager when you're all broody and all whatever and thinking you know everything it's hard to see the benefit of those moments but I look back now and everybody always says this when you look back you're gonna you know look back with fondness yeah. but this memory like my memories of being in the backyard with our karaoke machine and my mom starting my music over and over and over again and saying okay this foot needs to be out here and this hand like it was never just like, Oh, here it was, it was here. And your energy was like through your fingertips. And if you don't do that, those little things, even on stage makes such a huge difference. Danielle also had another realization and it turns out she kind of had two different parts of herself. Well, and it was like, it was almost like there was two different versions of me. There was Danielle at her level hundred, the best being like, just like boisterous and loud and just as like as bigger for life you know, like one week out of the year when I'd go to Cinderella and then the rest of my life preparing for that week. And it, and then, but then I'm going to get emotional trying to, trying to like 
turn myself down to fit other people's idea of who I was supposed to be. Danielle always had this narrative in her mind that she couldn't be herself in real life. She was too loud. People would ask her to quiet down. And so she always found herself muting herself and turning herself down in everyday life while only really turning her volume up to 100 when she could be on stage. And I don't even know that I realized that I had that realization until you kind of asked me um, if it was okay to call me like the pageant girl. But I think it's, it is the surface level encompassing title, to be honest, because I'm, and this is going to sound a little bit conceited, but I'm a natural born performer. Like that's, that's who I am. And a natural born performer is exactly what she is. I love when she shared stories, even of when she was a little tiny girl, just always knowing she wanted to be a star. Like I remember four-year-old or five-year-old Danielle being up there and Miss Denise says, Danielle, so I see here that you want to be a star when you grow up. And I said, yeah. And she goes, what kind of star? And I was like, um, up in the sky. And she was like, well, what do you mean? You know, the ones that twinkle. And she goes, like a star that shoots across the sky. Yeah. Like on those signs, I want to have my name up in those signs that look like a star. Cause I'm an, I'm going to sing and I'm going to be a star. So like, Aww. basically I told her I wanted to be a Broadway star when I was five years old. And that really was my dream throughout the rest of my life. Like I knew I was going to be a Broadway star. Like that's what I wanted. I love Broadway songs. I am a singer. I uh, can relatively dance and I've got rhythm and I'm going to be a star. And my name is, my name is going to be in lights. Like that's all I ever wanted. Oh boy. I definitely misjudged the patent world. So we fast forward to her high school years, and it wasn't just Cinderella pageants. Turns out word trickled down that Miss Arizona was starting a teen version. A lot of my Cinderella friends were like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. We can go be part of the Miss America program as a teenager before we... Because most of us, our dream was to go on to be Miss Arizona and then go to Miss America. Like that was... Like that was going to be my claim to fame. That was going to be how I was going to get on Broadway. That was going to be my track to getting my dreams. Long story short, Danielle won Miss Navajo County, and she was able to go and participate in Miss Arizona Outstanding Teen. I'm so excited. So we had Miss Arizona and it was like a week long thing. It was really cool. It was really cool because we had to go and we had to, we had to learn a production number all together to come out and introduce ourselves like Miss America on the TV. If you watch Miss America, like Mm -hmm. that very first production number, they're all coming out, they're introducing themselves and they come out on the stage and they have like all these choreography. Like we had to do that. It was so fun. And it was here in Phoenix, which, you know, worked out because it was super close, but, um, we competed and it was a little bit different because there was like a, a lifestyle and a quality of life, like award that they did. So lifestyle was like, what do you do in your lifestyle to keep yourself healthy? And so as a cheerleader, I went out there in my cheer uniform, you know, to talk about like, to basically show off, like you had to model in it to show mm-hmm. off what I do to keep my body fit and healthy. I don't remember exactly what my talent was, which is kind of a bummer. Cause I wish I would have I'm sure if I asked my mom, she'd know, but I had a really good time. (laughs) I look back at the pictures and it's really funny because I had gotten highlights in my hair for the first time ever. And I had bangs. And so like, there was like blonde, like in the bangs, they were like this and like my hair, it was just like, it's so, it was like, so 2006, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But 
I did. I did win. I won the quality of life award based off of an essay that I had written based off my platform. So it wasn't like Cinderella where you just show up, you, you know, do your talent, you model your clothes with the Miss America program. There's so much more to it. Like you had to have basically shown how you would, or how you have contributed to your community in some way. And the quality of life award was given out to the best essay written on their current platform. And honestly, um, my mom and I kind of came up with it together, but it was really what I wanted because it was kind of based in the character development aspect of my life. And my platform was like building true character in teens and young adults. And because my, and like my slogan was like, you know, your character is who you are when no one's watching. And so like my entire life was built on this. And like, I wrote an essay, I don't remember what it was, but I ended up winning like, cause we had different competitions. So like each mm-hmm. day there's like three days I had different competitions. And so they would, they would compete, um, for like with our talent one day and then like, whatever. So like there would be, you know, a, like a single talent award and like a single quality of life award and a single interview award. <laughs> it's really kind of crazy because I looked at a man. I literally swept the board for every single one of them. And I got the overall title. So I won all four awards. And I feel kind of bad because it was like, you guys couldn't just at least give somebody else the interview award. Like, come on guys. <laughs> and, but I think somebody else got the onstage question because I did get a little tongue tied about, because the onstage question that they ask you in the, in the competition part, um, was centered around your platform or around current events. Uh-oh. Holy crap, dude. This, it was a whole different world while comp- like competitive wise and performance wise, I was ready. This was a whole other world outside of Cinderella because Cinderella was really happy and really lucky. And we're all super excited to be here. And we're all working towards the same thing. It's so amazing. Whereas like, it really does get so much more cutthroat, not like in a bad way, but you have to be prepared for the Miss America program. Like it was intense. Um, and so by winning the Miss America, Miss Arizona's outstanding teen title, I was Miss Arizona's outstanding teen 2007. So then I went to the Miss America competition for teens to compete for the 2008 Miss America's outstanding teen title. I still have my crown and everything because it's really, it's one of those things that I'm just so, I mean, it, it is a part of a legacy because I'll forever be in like the, you know, in the books as Miss Arizona's outstanding teen 2007. Like no one else will ever have that title. And so it's really, really special. With Danielle's dream right on track, we move into the Teen Miss America pageant. So I got to experience going to and experience what it was like to go to Miss America. Yeah. Like that, like I literally traveled, like my mom wasn't allowed to be in my hotel room with me. We roomed with one of the other contestants. I roomed with Kansas. We went, we told, we Mm. talked to each other by our state names. Like we didn't really like like when we learn names, we didn't really learn their first names. It was like, oh, there's Colorado. Oh, California. Here she is. And there's Idaho. Oh, New- Rhode Island. What's up? You know, like we that like, so cool. Like, isn't that awesome? Like it was so fun. Like it's probably the coolest week of my life ever. It was so fun to relive this with Danielle. I mean, we could have gone on for hours and hours. We went to this like museum and we traveled and we ate all together and we did appearances like throughout the entire week while we were doing competitions. It was really such an incredible experience. And I feel so fortunate because there's only a certain number of people that can say that they've done that. If we can rewind for a little bit 
for the next part of the story. Right after Danielle had won the Miss Teen Arizona pageant, Danielle's life took a little pivot. Her family picked up and moved from the town she had known her whole life to a new town with a much larger school. While a lot of teenagers struggle with the thought of moving to a new school, Danielle had a much different experience. With a new title under her belt and an amazing bag created by one of her mentors as a gift for winning, Danielle walked into this school loud and proud. She made these beautiful, I still have it, these beautiful canvas bags for every state title holder. And she, like, they're, it's puppy paint, but it's gorgeous. It has my name on it, has Miss Arizona's Outstanding Teen 2007. It has, like, the Miss America crown, like, on it. And it, like, has my whole title on there. So <laughs> I, this was kind of a total, like, jerk move for doing this. But I used that bag <laughs> as my backpack to school when I went to Lake Havasu. Kind <laughs> of like, <laughs> look at me. And people took that the wrong way. And here's what's even crazier. I got made fun of for that, which as it turned out, I didn't really care because at the time it was such an exhilarating experience to be the new girl. I lived for it because and the big thing, the biggest thing was that nobody knew who I was leading up to that point. Nobody knew like what I was like when I grew up, nobody knew my parents, nobody knew my sisters, nobody knew anything about me until I walked through that door and what, but I did know a few people in Lake Havasu because of Cinderella, like a lot of the girls that I grew up competing against and with that live there, I had already had friends. So I knew a few girls. So like going into school, but they were actually a year younger than me in school. So they weren't in any of my classes. (laughs) So it was a little bizarre because I'm walking in with my bag. I think I'm like the hot and we had to wear uniforms at the school. So it was all totally different vibe. I remember walking into the lunchroom and I kept, I knew to myself, like, you're going to be brave. You're going to walk up to a random table and you're going to be like, Hey, can I sit with you guys? I'm new. And I don't think in any other situation I would have been brave enough to do that. And so I walked up, I did, I took my tray and I walked up to a random table, just a a couple of girls that looked really nice. And I was like, Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but, um, I'm new. Can I sit with you guys? And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, sit down. And I met this girl named Terry, who was the nicest girl ever. And I, she was like, okay, so where are you from? She's getting to know me. And I told her like I did cheer and I was a cheer captain in my last school. And she's like, oh my gosh, stop, hold on, come with me. And I said, what? She drug me over and introduced me to the other cheerleaders. Oh my gosh. Right then. That's so nice. Yeah. It was amazing because I got to meet the girls that would become really good friends of mine. And I was like, and then she's like, Hey, Jackie, this is my girl, Danielle. She just moved here. She's, she cheered at her last school and I wanted to introduce her. So you guys knew who she was and I'm like, okay, Hey, what's up, whatever. And so I got to know them. I like, I knew who they were right away. So I'm like, I know who I need to get in with because <laughs> I need to make this team. So she does. She tries out for cheer and makes it, of course, and she gets to go to a cheer camp over the summer. Turns out, some of the girls seem to have some problems with her, but it's amazing how what the pageant gave her helped her not really care. So she didn't mute herself like she would have in her old school. With her confidence intact, she confronts the girl who's having a problem with her. I remember distinctly walking down the walkway from the gym area or the auditorium where we were practicing to the dorm rooms where we were staying in the summer. There's nobody there in the dorms. 
And one girl particularly was talking crap about me, literally like five feet in front of me. And I'm like, Ashley, do you have something to say? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dude, I never would have had the balls to do that in Holbrook ever. I would have just been like, do you hate me? Like super dumb. Um, but I remember being like, Hey, Ashley, you have something to say. And she was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, you bug me. And I was like, and why is that? She was like, Oh, you're so annoying. It's just like, cause I was confident and I didn't care. What's crazy is that within the next month we were best friends because she had, she was forced to room with me at cheer camp. She did not like me, but over the course of that week built, cause I like, wasn't going to put up with her nonsense. And I think she either respected that or was just kind of like, wait, maybe she's not who I think she is. And then we became really good friends so much so that the next year after I graduated, I came to visit for a really important game called the golden shovel. Um, and I showed up at her house because we all, all of us, all of us would show up at her house and that's where we would get ready for games. And I used to do everybody's hair. I used to do everybody's makeup. Like they called me the mom of the squad. So I came into town. I didn't tell anybody I was coming into town from college. And I remember knocking on the door and at Ashley's house, knowing that they were going to be getting ready. I don't even know how, what my, how I got the Intel or what night it was or whatever, but I was there and knocked on her door and she opened the door and she saw that it was me and she burst into tears. And what did I do? I go in there and I do everybody's hair and makeup because it was a super special game. And it was really just, I mean, some of my most favorite high school memories are in that year that I was in Lake Havasu because I did build real genuine friendships because I was a hundred percent myself. And I kind of look back at like junior high and early high school, Danielle, just being like, I'm so sad for that girl because I know how awesome it really was to just be 100% myself. There she was again with a platform to be loud and proud and 100% Danielle. And of course, after high school, we hit college. But before that, let's take a quick break. Hey there, peeps. I just ordered some clothing from shewhoisapparel.com and I am actually in love. I may never take this sweatshirt off. It's so me, it's so cute, and I definitely want y'all to head to their website and check it out. And if you use my code BEYOND, get it? Like beyond the picket fence? Anyways, if you use that code at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Go enjoy those cute clothing items. All right. We're back with Danielle as she's headed to college. Danielle really, really wanted to go to San Diego State, and she had been accepted, and that was the plan. But the stars realigned, and she found herself at Eastern Arizona College. And it's a running joke at EA that if you drink the choir room water, you're definitely going to be getting married. And Danielle was not getting married. EAC was supposed to be just a quick stepping stone to get her to a university. I had decided to go because I learned that their performing arts program was freaking amazing. And if I wanted to go to a university after those two years, it would have been a lot easier. And the class sizes were smaller. The classes were a little bit easier and I could focus on music and then go into a university with a little bit more honed in experience. So here she was at EAC as a music major. As a music major, each student had their own vocal coach and they had to practice quite often for what they call juries at the end of the year. Danielle mentioned briefly how her vocal coach was an angel that she's so grateful for. I was showing up to my voice lessons every week completely hoarse. And my vocal coach was like, okay, um, are you, are you chair? You're in cheer. Okay. I want you, I'm going to write a note to your, to your coach. And for the next three weeks, I want you to only mouth the cheers. 
I want you to talk softly. I want you to talk quietly. Something is not, something is not right here. I, I did what she asked me to do. I rested my voice for about three weeks. And after those three weeks were over, she's like, you're not cheering. Are you? I said, no, like I've been mouthing the cheers for three weeks. And she's like, something is wrong. You should not be hoarse. As an alto, if you can hit that C below the staff, that is a problem. And I couldn't, I think I don't think, I don't think I could hit a D on the staff either. So like, this was a problem. Like my range was this big and that's not a thing I've ever had before. So she was like, you need to go get checked out. You need to go see an ENT. Danielle calls her mom and her mom taking it very seriously as of course, this is Danielle's career on the line and they head up to Phoenix for an ENT appointment And I'll spare you the gruesome details, but she had to get a scope down her throat. And I go in the scope and they're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you have cysts on your vocal cords. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And in that moment, as the, you know, overdramatic 18 year old that I was, I am like, my career is over. Like my life as I know it, and my, the track of where my life is going is over because if with system of vocal cords, there's no way I can be a Broadway star because what they told me was, well, we can go in there with a laser, we can remove them. But when you have cysts like this in your body, you are prone to cysts, which means that they can show up anywhere. And there's a 75% chance that they're going to come back or you can go to voice therapy like literally voice, not vocal coaching, voice therapy to learn how to, to relearn how to talk. I obviously chose speech therapy first and I came home with a note to my vocal coach. I said, this is, this is the deal. Like, thank you. Like, like even now I, I look back and I'm just so grateful that she recognized that I needed to do that. And I will never forget how hard it was being in that space and being in that headspace and being absolutely devastated. During the next eight weeks, Danielle travels back and forth from Thatcher to the Phoenix Valley area to attend all of her speech therapy classes. And needless to say, this was definitely a very humbling experience. I would just cry. Like I'm telling you, like these exercises that she had me doing were exercises for like developmentally challenged, like two, three, four, and five-year-olds. But the way that she was having me do them, I couldn't do them. There was no sound coming out during these exercises. And I would just get so frustrated that I would just sob in her office. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I'm a singer. I can't not be able to talk. Like I have to have this. Like I have, this has to work. It was a little bit humiliating to be honest. So I'm like, I'm an 18 year old kid that doesn't know how to talk with the right muscles. Danielle was so angry, but her patient speech pathologist was very kind. While Danielle learned to live this new life with all these crazy new rules. I worked so hard and I had to take a tape recorder with me every time I went to my appointments to tape record our exercises so that I could practice them throughout the week mm-hmm. before I would come see her. And every week it got a little bit easier. It got a little bit better, but I wasn't allowed to drink ice water. Everything I drank had to be room temperature and I had to, I wasn't allowed to whisper because I don't know if you know this, but if you whisper, your vocal cords are vibrating even harder than when you're talking. So I wasn't allowed to whisper. I wasn't allowed to yell, obviously at the cheer at like a cheer. So I had to, I had to practice and sometimes I get lazy and and, and you can kind of hear it in my voice when I get lazy. So when I get lazy, you can hear that kind of gravelly sound here. 
But when I talk the way my speech pathologist told me how to talk, that gravelly sound goes away. Like, and I'm sure that you can tell that with yourself, like when you're kind of getting tired or lazy, but I had to relearn how to talk with the correct muscles. Doing all the proper exercises and everything her speech pathologist had told her to do, things were getting a little better, but it was never quite exactly the same. It worked. It did great. I was able to go back and do my juries, um, but I decided at that point, and I knew that my voice was never going to be the same. And so it really was, it was, it was really a dream killer because all I ever wanted was to perform for a living. That's all I ever wanted. Like looking back at that, I mean, now the life that I have now is so different from what I imagined it would be, but I thought for sure that I was going to find a way to perform for the rest of my life. Um, so I had to grieve that and that was really hard. Um, does that grief ever go away? Because I relate to that too, which mine isn't at like medically, I just gave up and I didn't um, really try hard, but there's still that part of me, like. Like when I am watching a Broadway or something, when I'm watching something on a stage, my soul hurts. Like I ache, it aches to watch something and not be able to be a part of it. Yeah. There's always a level of that. Like, man, I wish that was me. And even now as an adult with four kids, I just want to do like local musical theater, but it is pretty hard to come to terms with my childhood dream and be almost give yourself permission to find a new one because I felt so called to be something for my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then when that was taken away from me, I didn't know what I was going to do. For the first time in her life, Danielle had no direction, no plan. She didn't know where she was going to go. She switched her major from musical major just to generals and basically she was going to school to be able to participate in choir. At EAC, in order to be in the show choir, you had to make acapella, and previously the year before she hadn't made it, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise as she overcame her cysts. But this year, since she was living in the now, she had one goal. So I auditioned, I made it, and I was so excited when I found out I made acapella. I could not wait for show choir auditions. I couldn't wait. With all of Danielle's background and dance experience, not only did she make it, but she became the dance coach for the girls. My dream kind of shifted a little bit and I was able to kind of just dream in the moment rather than having a long term because I had no idea where my life was going to go. I really didn't. I had no plan. All I knew was that my short term, make acapella. Next goal, make show choir. Next goal, just enjoy it. Like that was all I could do. But, you know, I think, you know, God had a different plan for me. And it was very hard for me to accept that because I hadn't, like I said, I really had no real direction. I had to think, of, I had to think about what my life was like in the moment. Slowly but surely, Danielle's insecurities started to sneak back into her mind. And she found herself as that little girl in junior high. You know, we had talked about not really having a sense of who I was and that confidence like in junior high, high school. But up until that point, like when I, when I moved from Holbrook and we were in Havasu, I was like, yes, I can find me myself. And I like was so ready to just be myself forever. And then everything that made me who I was, was ripped out from underneath me. And all of those insecurity cracks just started popping open all over again. Amidst all of these thoughts... 
Danielle was just living for the moment and kind of waiting to see where life was going to take her. And the path it took her on, well, she was in for a surprise. Marriage was never in her immediate plans, but with all plans out the window, cue Matt Castaneda. So I was at a basketball game cheering and it was Valentine's Day. Like we had planned like a routine to L is for the way, but it was like a, like a dance version. Super weird. I don't know how we got hold of it, but we had planned a routine, like a stunt routine to this song on Valentine's Day at the basketball game. And we had these big, huge five gallon jugs filled with Valentine's Day candy. And we were going to be giving the candy out during halftime during our routine. (laughs) So my husband, Matt, at the time, him and all of his friends used to sit right, like, like four or five rows right behind us. And a lot of the older, the girls who had been there like a year or two, like longer than I had knew them. And they used to like, like do silly cat calls and like make fun of us and like try to get a rise out of us during the game and just being annoying, you know, just like boys are. And these five gallon drums were sitting there full of candy and him and his friends kept like stealing candy out of the buckets. And I was getting genuinely irritated because they were annoying the crap out of me. So they were in like my section where I knew I had to be to throw out the candy. And so I knew during halftime, I was going to completely ignore them and throw candy to everybody else around them and behind them, but not give them anything. Cause I was so irritated. So we do the routine. I throw out the candy and they're like, wait, where's our candy? And I'm just like, whatever. I see something on the ground and I like picked up and tossed it to him. Like there was like two pieces. And I like, oh, you get the ground, you get the floor candy. Like, I just like, I was like, <laughs> whatever. And I threw it. So after the game is over, we're all just kind of like hanging out in the court talking and my, my, the boy, my guy I was dating at the time was like talking to his baseball friends. And I am just kind of like chatting with some of the girls that were there or whatever. And like waiting to leave. Next thing I know, this guy who had been irritating me the entire game comes up to me and he's like, Hey, can I talk, talk to you? And I was like, excuse me. Yes. Like, what do you want? And he holds up this Hershey's kiss. He's like, so this Hershey's kiss, when can I cash this in? And I was like, what? And I was like, um, never. And like, that's literally what I said to him. And the guy who was dating was literally two feet behind me, like with his back turned. So I'm like, this guy's going to freak out. You're freaking hitting on me. And he's like, my friend's right there. And anyway, so and he's like, okay, yeah, we'll see about that. And then he walks off. And I was just like, I looked at my friend Paige, who was sitting next to me. And I was like, did that really just happen right now? Like, did, did you see what just happened? She was like, yeah, that was bold. If that's not the beginning to an awesome love story, I don't know what is. A few more of Matt's smooth moves and a crazy breakup. Well, they had been chatting over Facebook for some time just as friends. And as soon as her Facebook status changed, guess who was there to swoop her up? Almost within minutes of the update. Yep, Matt. Over time, things got more serious, and I think we can all see where this is headed. After all, she did drink the choir room water. And of course, Danielle got married. They finished their studies at EAC and eventually moved back to the Phoenix Valley area. Um, While we were there, we had a surprise pregnancy with my daughter, my oldest. Like we were not, like I was actually on birth control and like I was surprised, like eight months in, I was like, uh, right. So we had Tylee and she was about a year and a half. And we're like, I think we want to to have and like try for another kid. We want to be pretty close together. After a surprise pregnancy and a move to a new house, a little while later, they decided it was time for baby number two. So they started trying. After a year of nothing, I'm like, okay, this is crazy. We've got to go see the doctor. So I go to my OB who delivered Tylee. And I was like, 
what is going on? I can't get pregnant. And he did an ultrasound and he's like, oh yeah, you haven't ovulated in nine months at least. He's like, there's nine immature follicles here. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, how does that happen? She was now on two medications, one to make her period start and the other one to make her ovulate. And it turns out she missed a period. So she went back to the doctor wondering what was going on. So I went there thinking I was going to need another round of Clomid because my period didn't come like an idiot. I thought I just need another round because I don't have regular periods. So I go there. I always give a urine sample every time I go see the OB and they walk in the room and they're like, oh my gosh, congratulations. And I'm like, for what? They're like you're pregnant. And I was like, what? So after a year, over a year of trying in that first round of medication and I start sobbing because I, I did not expect that. So she was pregnant, but her hormones were a little bit low. So they gave her a supplement to last her for five weeks when she was supposed to come back for her ultrasound. They go in there and they do the ultrasound and they're looking and they're looking and they're looking. And like the ultrasound tech is like getting really like I'm looking and I've had a baby before. So I know what to look for. And they're putting the Doppler on there. There's nothing there. And so they the, obviously the ultrasound tech can't say anything. They leave. The doctor comes in and she's like, okay, so this is not going to be good news. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're like, she, and so she brought the ultrasound back on and she was like, you see this here? Like, this is your placenta. This is your sack, but there's nothing in the sack. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, how is that possible? And so as it turns out, it's called a blighted ovum where your body does develop a pregnancy, but usually it's because there's something chromosomally or something wrong with the fetus since the body just kind of like absorbs it. So her body was supposed to pass this tissue naturally. Over the next couple of weeks, like nothing happened. Nothing happened. I did not pass anything. And so I'm calling my, my mother-in-law. She's an RN. She's like, you, that tissue is not serving a purpose. It is dying inside of your body. It has to come out. She was like, you have to do something. And so my options were when my, I talked to my doctor, my options were to schedule a DNC to wait it out or to take a medication to basically force the tissue out, which is essentially like to induce an abortion, but there's no baby there. And I was like, well, knowing that I have a blood disorder, I'm like, I don't want to, I just had a feeling that if I did the medication, I had a feeling I was going to hemorrhage. Like I just had this, I just had this gut feeling like it was not a good idea to take the medication. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to wait it out because at the time we knew that if I tried to get a DNC that we were like insurance wasn't going to cover it because it's considered an elective procedure, which is like, that's an oxy oxymoron to me, honestly. Yeah. But like, especially since there was no baby there, it's not like I'm getting elective procedure to end a life. Like there was no life there. If we did the DNC, it was going to cost us, I think with our deductible and the cost of it, it was going to be like $2,000. And we're like, we are not in a position to be able to handle that right now. So I went with the medication and it was a $7 medication. Uh, my insurance covered the medication, but not a DNC unless it was an emergency. Just stepping up to my soapbox real quick. If you're listening and you're someone out there who has power over anything to do with insurance or the medical world, I just hope that this story inspires you to make a change, to help women better. To have to choose between your health and money is so wrong. And I just hope there's someone out there working on a better system. So Danielle takes the medicine and around nine o'clock in the morning when her and her husband are driving back from her first day on her new job, this is what happened. 
And all of a sudden we get about 10 minutes from home. And I was like, holy crap. And that's like, what? I'm like, we need to stop at Walgreens. I need to get some, I need to get some stuff to catch all this blood. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I am actively bleeding right now. So the rest of the day I'm bleeding and patching tissue the rest of the day. And so a couple of times I had sat, I had like sat down to go to the bathroom and it like gushed out. And I was like, I don't think that's normal. So my mom, I called her cause we have, we had almost lost her a couple of times because of a miscarriage, a few miscarriages growing up. Like she had hemorrhaged a couple of times. We almost lost her. And so I called her. I'm like, if anybody knows, she knows what is and is not normal. So I was like, mom, I'm really nervous about this. And she was like, well, do you have nail polish on? I was like, yeah. She goes, you need to check your capillary response. And I was like, okay. So I was sitting in this chair actually. And my room is probably seven or eight feet from where I'm sitting. And I, so I needed to get my nail polish remover. And while I'm on the phone with her, I, I walk and I, and I stand up and I walk to my room and right in front of my doorway, I pass out. And so Matt was like, okay, we're going to the hospital. Cause I, I was telling him, I'm like, I'm bleeding a lot. And I don't know if this is normal. Like I'm really scared. And my mom's like, what's happening? Danielle, what is going on? And Matt's like, oh, like, you know, and Matt picks up the phone. He's like, she just passed out and taken out of the ER. So they quickly coordinate care for their baby girl and head for the hospital. And it wasn't until three hours later when Danielle passes out in bed that they start to get some help. I looked at Matt and I was like, I'm going to pass out again. It's happening. And he's like trying to fan me down with his hat. I'm like, that's not going to work. And all of a sudden the lights just go dim and I pass out. And then he runs out. Next thing I know, there's like 10 people, there's like five people running into the room to like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I told you I was bleeding. Like what, what part of this do you not understand? And so then they take my blood pressure. It's super low. So they go and they put some fluids to raise my blood pressure. And at that point, then they start cleaning me up, which I'm like, finally, I just wanted to like not be sitting in this, you know? <laughs> and they finally get me cleaned up. And I was freezing with these two bags of fluids going in both arms. Like I was freezing. And so I was like, and I needed to go to the bathroom so bad. <laughs> All I could think about was how badly I needed to go to the bathroom while they're like cleaning me up. I was like, can you guys give me a catheter or something? Because my bladder is going to first. And so they're like, no, because you're going in for a DNC, you can't have a catheter. And I was like, well, I am going to pee on you. <laughs> you can't be a freaking kid. Like what's going on. And so they're like, we can bring in the porta seat, but your husband needs to hold you up while you're sitting there. I was like, okay, there's like Aww. some sort of nerve that when you release you pass out when you go to the bathroom. So I sit down on this toilet, I gush out a little more blood and they had me put my arms around his waist. He's like holding on my arms. And I finally go to the bathroom and it just like, I like, like, <laughs> like passed out again like there are probably six people outside of my husband in this room and I'm just peeing in this porta seat in the middle of the room like like all dignity I did not care I just really needed to go to the bathroom so after that after I finally went through those two bags of fluids my blood pressure was and I'm still passing out my blood pressure is still really low that's when they finally got me on a couple units of blood before they got me into the DNC they finally get the doctor to come in she explains to me what's going to happen during the DNC so finally I get in there for the DNC and man, the operating, the operating room was freezing and I couldn't wait to get out of there. And apparently during the procedure, even after getting two units of blood, they said that my blood pressure bottomed out again during the procedure. And so normally when you're there for like a DNC is usually an outpatient procedure, but because of my blood pressure and like passing out all the time, they were like, yeah, you need to stay overnight. Looking back, I obviously wish I would have just gone straight with the DNC but, um, like just so I didn't have to experience that super traumatic, you know, experience in the hospital. But after that, so that was in October. And so I had to like rest from trying for two months after that so that my, my body could just recoup. Uh, seriously. Insurance is so frustrating. Really. If you can help, please do. 
So after her body fully recovers, they decide to do another round and try again. And that second time doesn't work. And they decide they can only handle one more time. And then they were going to take a break. The third round it ended up taking. And I think I took a test on like April 17th or something. And it was positive and it came back real quick. We just, we, I scheduled my appointment for my, cause at this point I think I was like three weeks, like normal. And I scheduled my confirmation ultrasound with my original OB that delivered Tylee. We go in for the ultrasound and there's like, he's like, Oh, huh. We're like, what? He's like, there's two in there. And I was like, what? I remember calling my mother-in-law after that appointment being like, um, so we went to our appointment. <laughs> it's twins. And she was like, okay, that's not really funny to joke with me. That's, that's not a funny joke. And Matt's like, mom, it's not a joke. <laughs> and it was really kind of awesome. Cause it was like, we did not expect this. Danielle's journey with infertility was really different because her body had already had a baby. So it was really confusing to try to figure out what the heck went wrong. There's a whole different level because it's like, okay, what's, what's going on? My body has already done this before. Like I, my body has gotten pregnant. I've had a baby. What is happening? But the thing is like, it's hard to get my babies in like to have a baby, but then they don't want to come out. So like Tylee was 41 and a half weeks and the twins, they had to take them at 38 and a half weeks because at 39, it gets unhealthy and the placenta has a higher chance of deteriorating and they could get sick and die because there's too much strain on the body. So I was induced with both pregnancies, but, um, I was like, I had to have an epidural with them in case something went wrong. Like they had to wheel me to the, to the OR just in case I thankfully was able to deliver both of them at 38 and a half weeks. Um, vaginally did not have to go to the OR thankfully, but they were, they were, they had completely different placenta, separate sac. It was literally two eggs that were fertilized at the same time. So they're sisters, but they just happen to be born on the same day. <laughs> and they're totally different. Oh, well, they look completely different. They have like, one has long, super stick straight hair. The other one has short curly hair. One has long legs. The other has a long torso. Like they are completely opposite in every sense of the word, which is kind of amazing. But when they were born, they were different heights, but they were both exactly six, 8.4. They were the exact same weight. That's Isn't that crazy. crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so we were definitely healthy twins. Cause I mean, there are some singletons that are born at six, eight, you know what I mean? So there was over 13 pounds of baby in there, plus their own, each separate placenta plus their own sack. It is a really cool experience though. It's pretty, it was pretty, pretty amazing. And of course at this point, Matt's like, okay, we had twins. We're not doing anything else ever again. We're done, <laughs> but they were both girls. And so oh. now we have three girls. And we had kind of both decided, you know, I think we're done. We've had, you know, we're done. We're good. They were definitely hard. People always ask me like, oh my gosh, twins, how do you do it? And I was like, honestly, that entire first year is a total blur. I couldn't even tell you. Like, I really couldn't tell you. So fast forward to 2018. At this point, I was armed with the knowledge that I struggle with PCOS, which was what contributed so much to my infertility. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Like I had cysts all around and on my ovaries. And so those were creating more testosterone. Like the cysts like create more testosterone, which overpowers progesterone. And the progesterone is what 
makes your like that's what starts your cycle hindsight really is 2020 because they realized that the birth control they had been on with their first pregnancy actually aided in the pregnancy because it normalized her hormones so with pcos danielle did some research and realized that you can be on keto so she decided to get on the keto diet to put her pcos into remission mostly just for her mental health and to help her body get feeling better and for the first time in her whole life danielle began to experience what a regular period feels like. Now we enter November 2018, when Danielle starts to realize that food and smells are not quite right. And I distinctly remember baking BLT sandwiches. And I like to make them with like a fried egg and avocado. So we made, I made those for dinner one night and I took a bite of it and I felt the texture of the fried egg on my tongue. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot eat this. Matt looks at her and says, you better not be pregnant. And sure enough, Danielle's pregnant. Danielle talked about how amazing it was to be pregnant naturally again, and this brought them their little miracle and child number four, but baby boy number one, Mateo. Once again, God has changed the plan, and while they were shocked and nervous at first, Danielle loves this plan. She loves her baby boy. It's just so interesting how in so many points of my life where I thought like I was like discounting who I was like completely lost on where my life was going to go, what the plan was. And then the Lord steps in and intervenes in so many ways that have changed the course of my life because Matt and I had decided we were done having kids. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it's been a crazy wild ride. (laughs) In this plan God had for Danielle was motherhood, and she had a lot to say about the impact being a mother has had on her. You know, once I had the twins, I really struggled with an identity there because you get so lost in motherhood, which I think is a theme that pretty much every mom can, every mom can relate to that. You get so lost in motherhood that you just don't even know who you are anymore. Not that that's a bad thing because you're changing into someone new, but you have to have something that you can be excited about and proud of so that that you know, a version of yourself before kids is still there and still nurtured. And I didn't have anything like that. Danielle had a friend who was in a direct sales company who kept begging her and begging her, please, with all your pageant background and your beautiful eyelashes, you have to sell this makeup. And she kept saying no, no, no. And finally, she decided to join. And I just kind of went full steam ahead. And I just said, you know what, fine, I, I really, truly enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm a performer. So like being, giving, giving me a chance to be in front of a camera and create my own content and really kind of step into that entrepreneurial life, which I didn't even think I wanted to do, but I, I do know that I struggle in regular jobs. Like I struggle working for somebody else and being on someone else's time on someone else's dime. I really struggle with that. And so a big part of who I am is like, I've always wanted to find something I wanted to do that didn't require me to work for someone else, but I didn't know, I didn't really know what to do. I had no plan. I had no, whatever, no passion whatsoever, but through the process of being in this drug sales company, I really got excited about entrepreneurship and, and doing something for myself and learning how to do it my, my own way that, and, and not having a boss, no one telling me what to do and making some extra money for my family. Like that was amazing. Being able to make fun make money for my phone while I'm nursing my babies. Like that was pretty phenomenal. And, um, so through that process, I realized that I have a passion for the beauty industry. Isn't it kind of funny when something's just staring you in the face? I mean, 
She took care of her sisters. She was in beauty pageants. She would help all of her friends get ready for cheer by doing their hair and makeup. Her new dream had been there kind of in the shadows. And so five years after being in that company, she decided she wanted to go to esthetician school. But with the surprise pregnancy with her son, she was unable to do that. However, she knew she needed a change. So the month that he was born would have been my first month going back to school. Dang. Um, so that was really hard for me to come to terms with because I had a plan. <laughs> I had a plan. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, no, you know. Stop making um, plans, Danielle. Just I know. Stop. I guess I'm gonna stop even like considering anything else for myself, right? <laughs> so um anyway, but anyway, like he is literally the greatest blessing ever. But I think had I had he not happened and had I gone to school, I wouldn't be where I am now because I wouldn't have been forced to really take a look at whether I, what was making me happy and what was not. And at that time I had been with, with that drug sales company for five years and I was really unhappy. I was really like, it wasn't bringing me joy anymore. It wasn't adding to who, like, like my identity anymore. In fact, it was more of a burden and a guilt trip all the time. And I just got to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And three years prior to that, I had been approached by a friend of mine who I actually cheered with at EA for a different makeup company. And I told her, Oh my gosh, no, I'll never, I'll never leave my company. I'm, this is my forever home, blah, 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 blah. That was back in 2017. Well, fast forward to 2020 when everything was shut down and I was finding myself in that period of, cause my son was born um, in 2019. So in August of 2019. So he was only about, let's see, eight months ish when everything shut down and it got to the, my anxiety and my having my kids home from school, trying to teach kindergartners how to do school online. Two of them, it was awful. They had never used a computer before. They didn't even know how to use a computer, let alone read how to do school on the computer. Like it was just, it was insane. And then my, my daughter was in third grade and like, it was just, it was, it was so awful. And my anxiety was just through the roof. And I think, I think everybody experienced a level, like a huge level of that and mental health took a huge, huge toll on so many people during the beginning, especially the, those beginning months of the pandemic. And, but during that time, I decided that I wasn't going to live in that space. I was going to pivot. Now, during this time, I had done a couple other odd jobs from home to bring in an, an extra, like more reliable income because with a drug sales company, you never really know how much you're going to make, whether it's off of your own sales, your team or whatever. So I was doing other kind of jobs from home to bring in money and I was just so overwhelmed. And so I had told my husband that I was ready to leave my previous company. And then I was ready to try this other company that my friend had suggested and like talked to me about a couple of times. But anyway, so she had, I, I, she had, she had this thing called like a color match form for the makeup. Cause I wanted to try the makeup first. Um, I was like, Hey, go check her email. I just filled out your, I filled out a color match form. And she was like, what? She was freaking out. Cause I was ready to try the makeup. So I got the makeup first and I tried it for about two, like three weeks. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm ready to join. And, and so I joined April 10th of 2020, but that was after I had kind of let everybody else on my current team, I let them know what the deal was. I let them know that I was being led and like, I had like, I was ready to make a different, like make a change. I'm really sorry. I hope this doesn't mean anything, you know, bad for you, but this is just not for me anymore. And I was really genuine. And my, my team that I had, anybody that I had sponsored was super understanding about it. 
All of her teammates underneath her were very understanding and really excited for Danielle to follow her dreams to her new venture. She wasn't met with the same kind, loving reaction from her leaders, so that kind of put the nail in the coffin and she was ready to go full force with her new opportunity. And can I just say, this is a brave woman right here, leaving behind what everyone else wants from her and listening to what she really needs and fulfilling that need. She instantly went full force ahead and she was totally successful with $3,000 of sales in her first month. And I just love listening to her talk about her excitement for her product. The product is super innovative. And it's more, it just fits into my life more as a busy mom, because like it's while I was using like 15 products in one sitting to do my makeup. Now I literally have one palette full of just a couple different tins of colors. And it's like, this is great with one brush and I can do my entire face. It was like revolutionary. You know, at this point, the company had only been around for three years and I was kind of getting in at a time where people were really excited about it. With all the new Instagram reels and TikTok, Danielle found her new stage. And I had so much fun basically being an actress behind the camera and being a performer on camera in my home, but reaching so many people through my phone. So it's almost like things are coming back full circle. Again, turning Danielle up to level 100. I'm just so grateful that I was brave enough to finally take the chance, but I'm like mad at myself for like telling her no in 2017. I'm like, "Ah, I should have done that a long time ago. But again, (laughs) timing is everything, you know? Um, And the Lord knows, the Lord knows. And it was time. And now with reels, it's made it so much more fun to be able to show my personality like for real. And it's translating way better on camera than it would like in real life because it's a little extra. But I think, again, that whole pageant part of myself is coming through and, you know, all of my performance stuff. It's just like part of who I am. And it's I think that's what makes a business like this so fun because I'm showing up on social media, but being myself with my volume fully up without having to worry about whether I am offending anybody or whether I'm too much for somebody. If you're too much, just swipe on by. It's not that hard. And Danielle just lights up when she talks about helping others with this makeup. When they, people try the makeup and they, they're like, oh my gosh, my, my skin feels so good. Like it feels so hydrated. I look so much younger. Like I feel so much better. I, I love this color you picked out for my lips and whatever. And so it, it just gives me this sense of like, it's like that hit of dopamine. Like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just makes me feel so good because it is a sense of, it is a way to serve others while also fulfilling like my own passions and honoring my own passions in the process. This resonates with me so much. I feel like in my life, I had the same thing happen where I loved singing. I love singing. I love performing. And I just feel so good when I'm on the stage. But I was always wondering, I also love people. And I was trying to figure out how do I put this performing thing together with serving people? How do I use my skills in lifting other people up. And I feel like this is where Danielle has found exactly what she's looking for. And me too with this podcast is that now we're not just using our talents to serve ourselves, but we found a way to lift and inspire and help others. And it just dawned on me during this interview how alike Danielle and I really are. And with this realization, I asked, and I'll always ask, What do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? I wish people knew just how much time is taken up in my mind with negative self-talk and how much 
of how much, how much of my mind and is taken up by second guessing every decision I make and whether I'm worth the desires of my heart and those insecurities. Like they've been there my entire life, I think. And it's really hard to get rid of them or to even be okay with them and accept them. And I think through the process of all of these different trials and all of the pivots in my life that I've had to take and all of my insecurities bubbling back up in every pivot, but ending up being okay. I think it's important to remember that everybody has their own story. And I have this shirt that says kindness is so gangster because it really is. Being kind doesn't cost you a thing. It takes so much more energy to be nasty to somebody it takes so much less effort to be kind, to find something kind to say to somebody so that maybe you can quiet their insecurities for a little bit. We're already getting enough of it from here. Like this is oh, yeah, from my ourselves. head for the listeners that cannot see mm-hmm. this. <laughs> we have enough of it in here. We don't need exterior help feeling bad about ourselves. No. Like I remember no. one time I saw on Facebook, someone posted like, I'm done feeling bad about posting a positive thing about myself because what's the worst thing if people are going around loving themselves? Yeah. So, and I think it also like not resisting, like having those thoughts and then being like, oh, to that Chelsea inside me, I love you too. And I know you're there, but we're going to, we're going to like rise above and be, be 100% loud all, all the time. Like that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a, a come follow me podcast today and we we're talking about, and she, she was like talking about specifically those things that we talk about ourselves that are super negative and like relating it to how Satan wants to play upon those so much to tell us how unworthy we are of God's love, even though God's love is innate. Like it's just a fact, like it's not something you have to work for. It's already there. And so she literally says like, when she hears those things of, you know, I'm unworthy, I'm not smart enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm stupid. Like I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what I want in life. She, she literally says out loud, not today, Satan, like get the hints, like almost to those negative thoughts, because those don't come from God. Yeah. Those do not come from anybody, but the adversary trying to tell us and whisper in our ear that all of our insecurities are real when in reality, they're not. And they're only holding us back. And he's only dragging us down with him, not bringing us closer to our true potential and our divine our divine right here on the earth to be to like grow and become what God wants us to be. So whether it's from your surroundings or your inner demons, when you have those negative thoughts, I invite you with Danielle to shout at your 100% yourself volume. Not Not today, today, Satan. Not today. You did it. We're at the end of another episode. Please like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. 